Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Right in Shanai. And uh, so I'm believing we're going to see thousands of people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so when a pastor invited me, he said, would you be willing? Would you be willing to, you know, come over to India and to preach outdoor meetings? I said, absolutely. And I told my wife, I said, I'm excited. We're going to see, you know, I'm believing. I've set my faith. If you think of this preacher, pray and believe with us that we will see more souls saved in that one trip that we have seen in all 16 years of ministry combined. And I believe the Lord's going to do it. And you say, why? Because Jesus is coming back soon. And I believe he's going to do a greater work in this final hour of time because we have a limited amount of time. I, I have a message that I preach about, you know, the harvest, the end time urgency of the harvest. And one of the points that I have in that message is there's a limited time that we have right now. You know, we, I was here last year. I'm here a year later now. We are actually one year closer to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was reading and I was listening to a gentleman who I was under for so many years, Brother Tiff Shuttlesworth, and he was actually telling me, he says that Bible scholars actually say that every uh, prophecy that needed to happen in order for the rapture of the church to happen actually has taken place sometime in the mid-80s. The next greatest event that we are actually awaiting to happen in the church is actually the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the second coming. A lot of people, you know, they they confuse the second coming in the rapture. We're not waiting for the second coming yet. We're waiting for the rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that could happen at any moment. Can somebody say amen? And so God's opened up doors for us to go to India, and I'm believing we're going to see thousands of souls come to know. But little did I realize that when I prayed to God that he would open up the nations of the world, he opened up the nation of Cuba for for me to go and preach. When I say us and when I say we, I'm actually referring to me, myself, and I. And so, uh, but when I went over, when I went over to Cuba, you know, I remember I told this story on Friday night. And I said, uh, you know, when I got to one of the services, they said, you know, they have government officials in the meeting, and uh, they've come here to arrest you and to deport you to send you back to your home country. So I thought to myself, well, what's, the, you know, what, what's bad in that, deporting me back to the U.S.? But the problem is, is in how long they detain you. And so I told the crowd Friday night, you know, I have a wife and I have a kids, and they expect me to go home, and they expect me to be there to, to provide for them and, you know, just take care of my my, my duties as a husband and, uh, and as a dad. And so I remember when I walked into that service and they were, you know, it didn't take long to figure out who the government officials were because while everybody was jumping up and down in Cuba praising God, you had these people that were sitting in the back and it looked like they were baptized in pickle juice all morning long. And I thought to myself, man, I said, even in Cuba, you know, I thought only in North America people come to church and act like they're coming to a funeral. I said, but it happens in Cuba too. I said, look at those guys. So it didn't take me long to figure out who the government officials were. But to make a long story really short, by the end of that week, 
every single one of those government officials that showed up to arrest me, they actually got arrested by the Holy Ghost themselves, and they came down to the altar, and they received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. And so the Word of God is still saving lives, it's still saving people, and it's still changing situations. And I believe the Word of God is going to do that this morning here at Western Road. Can somebody say amen? And so, you know, God's opened up the nations of the world. And then just a few weeks ago, I got a phone call, and now we're doing an open-air crusade. We're going actually to South Africa, and uh, we're going to, to Ghana. And uh, we're going there to preach, and uh, right in the middle of the open field, they said, would you be willing to do that? I said, brother, I'm an evangelist. Do you need to pray about that? He said, brother, I've been praying about this. You are the answer uh, to the prayer that I've been praying. And so in January... I'm going to be flying over uh, to the nation of Ghana, and we're believing to see many souls come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. You know, people said, are you afraid when you go to these nations? You know, at first, I wasn't afraid, but then there's a lot of people that ask me, you know, I walk into church after church, I'd be afraid because those nations, the dominant religion is not the religion that you're a part of. You know, but thank God for the Holy Ghost, because when you have some knucklehead that comes up to you and says something ridiculous like that, the Holy Spirit is always there to give you an encouraging word. Can somebody say amen? And so I know I may not be part of the dominant religions of those nations, but God spoke to me and he said, you carry the presence of the dominant God on the inside of you. And so I've made up my mind, regardless of where I go, the word of God will be preached in all its fullness and the name of Jesus will be lifted high in that nation. And we will not I'm, I hope so, but we will see thousands and thousands come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can somebody say amen? And I believe maybe there's somebody here. Maybe you came here not knowing what was going to happen today. Maybe you showed up this morning and think, well, I'll just go. You know, it looks like the sun's going to crack. The birds are chirping. I think this morning would be a good day for me to go to church and possibly get my life right with God. No, there's no I hope. God didn't draw you here because, you know, you thought it was a good day. I believe every single one of you are in here this morning because God has been drawing you in and he has something for each and every single one of you. Can somebody say amen? And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to open it up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. And we're going to begin reading from verses 1 through 13. Again, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And then I also am going to read one scripture out of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 27. So that's Matthew's Gospel 25, 1 through 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. And as you're turning there, I just want to say how, you know, how, uh, how glad and I am to be here this morning and to see a good crowd of people on church on a Sunday morning. I'm glad to see that, you know, I didn't come a year later and like 75 or 100 people people have dropped out of church. I'm glad to know that something good is happening here at Weston Road. And I believe things are going to get even better. I think I remember. As a matter of fact, the Lord just dropped this in my spirit. I think the last time I was here, I actually told Pastor Jonathan that when this new, see, this is not the goal. And this church is not the end goal, the building itself. But I said it's the platform for God to do what he wants to do. 
And I think I remember telling Pastor Jonathan, the Lord just reminded me, that I said that when the full completion of the construction of this building was done, that God was actually going to bring increase. And I, I believe that it, I can see the increase already in this church, but I believe that you're going to get to a point that you're actually going to be scratching your heads and wonder what, how in the world, what in the world can we do in order to fit all the people that are in here uh, that come to church on a Sunday morning. And so get ready, Western Road. God is going to do something supernatural and something incredible in this area. Can somebody say amen? And I believe it's going to be like, it's, it's going to expand just from this area. You're going to see Western Road uh, the hand of Western Road is going to be all over this community, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Can somebody say amen? And so let me get back. My wife, you know, when I first, when I first started preaching, I could say everything I had in 10 minutes. My wife says, now I just don't know how to keep quiet. I just keep on going. In um, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13, this is what the Bible says. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps, and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in, uh, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door. For us, but he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, verse 13 says, Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And then we read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, where Paul says this He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And let me pause there just to say that the Christian life is all about disciplining our bodies and training our spirits in what to do and what not to do. Believe it or not, as a believer in Christ, there are certain things that you should stay away from. There are certain people in certain conversations that you should stay away from. And as a believer, there are certain things that God requires of you as his son and daughter. Now, Paul continues and he says, I, uh, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should, Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now this morning, I just want to take a few moments of your time, and I actually want to speak to you on what I've entitled this morning, this, this message on I Choose. Now, for many of those that have been in our services, you know, and even now, just, you know, few moments that you've been here, you'll realize that I'm like an audience participant participation preacher. I don't mind it when people participate in the message, when they respond back to me. And so I'm going to ask every single one of you in here that you would be, uh, I'm going to ask you to repeat three things after me. Now, when you repeat these three things after me, I know some of us may be reserved. Believe it or not, I'm actually a kind of reserved person. I'm conservative. 
People say, well, you don't act like it. You don't sound like it. Well, when I grab the microphone, something happens. When I begin to preach, the anointing of the Holy Ghost comes upon me, and then I'm kind of like Jeremiah. It's like a fire shut up in my bones, and I just can't hold it in, you know? And, uh, and so I'm going to ask every single one of you to repeat three things after me. Now, when you repeat these three things after me, don't repeat it like you're in a funeral. Repeat it like you're at the stadium and you're about to see the Toronto Raptors go up two games to zero over Golden State. And I'm with you on that. You know, I'm with you. I want to see that happen. But act like Toronto is about the, the Raptors, not the Maple Leafs, but the Raptors are ready to win the championship. That belongs to the Boston Bruins this year. But anyway, so I'm going to ask you to say three things. The first thing that I want you to say is, out loud, with everything that you've got, say, I choose. I choose. The second thing I want you to say is, it's my decision. It's my decision. The third thing I want you to say is, it's my choice. So we said three things. We said, I choose, it's my choice, and it's my decision. Now, the things that we experience in life and what we will experience on eternity's morning is all determined on the choices that you and I make in life right now. You see, as people, we, locked, we like to assume a lot of things. For example, we generally assume that bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. But the truth is this, listen my friend, not everyone that is present in hell right now was a bad person when they were on the earth. You know, I think that a lot of us would be shocked if we were able to take a glimpse into hell and we would see how many people we consider to be good are actually present in hell. So you see, the greatest mistake that people can make in life is just to assume that being good is good enough to make it into heaven when the truth of God's word is this. Being good, even though as believers we should be good, being good is not what gets you into heaven. But according to the word of God, being right with God is what gets people into heaven. Can somebody say amen? See, today there's a room full of people here. And from your response, from the way you look, by the way you're smiling at me, you're looking all prim and proper. I, I don't deny that there's a lot of good people that are in here this morning. But when I get up before a crowd, my greatest concern is not how many good or bad people are present in life or in the sanctuary. My greatest concern is this, how many ready people do we have to meet the Lord? You see, in this room, we have people from different walks of life. We have people that fit into the lower class, the middle class, and the upper class. And as people, we have categorized ourselves by the amount of money we have, by the type of clothes that we wear, and by the type of homes that we live in. It reminds me of a story that history tells us way back then when the Titanic was about ready to embark on its first journey across the ocean. The history tells us that there were people from all different walks of life that were on that boat. There was the poor, there was the rich, there was the famous, and then there were those that we just called the normal average person. But when that iceberg, my friend, when that ship hit an iceberg halfway across the ocean, family, friends, and relatives, they were not, you know, they were not concerned about the passengers of the ship, what their title in life was. 
The only thing that they were concerned about when that ship hit an iceberg, the only thing that friends and family and relatives of those passengers that were on the ship, the only thing that they were concerned about was that their names would be found written amongst those that were saved, that their names were written under the, the correct category. Because back in England, there was this church that they were awaiting the news of the passengers that were on the boat. And as they got uh, news of the passengers on the front door of that church, there was a piece of paper. And on the top of that piece of paper, there were two different categories written on that paper. And after each category were written the names of the people who were passengers on the Titanic. And on the top of that piece of paper, the two categories that were written were the lost and the saved. They didn't care whether they were upper class, lower class, whether they were famous, whether they were poor. All they were con concerned about was that they were, their names were written in the right category, saved or lost. And on eternity's morning, it's going to be no different, my friend. Regardless of where you may fit in society right now, on eternity's morning, there will only be two classes of people. There will be the qualified and the disqualified. There will be the saved and the unsaved. There will be the ready and the not ready. Listen to what I'm about to tell you this morning. At the end of this life, what matters is not how much you have accumulated throughout your earthly life. What matters is not how much volunteer work you have put into the upkeep of the church. But what matters this morning, my friend, at the end of life, is that you would find yourselves amongst those that are saved. In Matthew chapter 25, that's what the Bible is teaching us. The Bible teaches us that disqualified people and lost people are not necessarily bad people. They're just people that weren't ready to meet the Lord. You know, one of the greatest disappointments is expecting to receive a prize. Being absolutely sure that it is coming your way to only have that prize denied or withheld from you in the end. And I have a feeling that many are going to experience that feeling of being denied entry when it comes to eternity. Why? Not because they might be a bad person, but simply because they weren't ready to meet the Lord. You see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, where Paul says, I fear that I myself might be disqualified. You know, throughout the years, many have debated over what Paul said in that text as to whether or not that he was teaching that you can lose your salvation or once you were saved, you were always saved. People have debated over that for years that denominations have actually been formed around this belief. There are those that believe that once you're saved, you'll never lose your salvation. There are those that believe that you can lose your salvation. There are others that believe that in the end, love will win and everybody will be saved. While at the same time, my friend, there are also those that make getting right with God the hardest thing to do. But my friend, I've come to tell you something. Being right with God is not the hardest thing to do. God actually made it one of the easiest things for us to do as people. For the Bible says, if you will believe in your heart and if you will confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is, is your Lord and Savior, and the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So being made right with God, it's not a hard thing to do. It's actually one of the easiest things in life to do. Can somebody say amen? 
But you see, but just like there are those that make getting right with God one of the hardest things to do, there are also those, especially in the day and age that we're living in right now, there are those who lead you on to believe that you can live any way you want to without having to pay any of the consequences. When in reality, the Bible shows us that for those who live in sin and continue to live in sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I told you a few moments ago that one of the greatest concerns that I have before when I get up to speak before a group of people is that there are people within the sound of my voice who think that they are going to make it into heaven. And the truth is they're not because of their lifestyles. There are people who won't make it. Why? Because their earthly priorities have become more important than their eternal priorities. My pastor says something. I'm speaking to all the parents right now. I, I, I love sports. I want my kids to be involved in sports. I want my kid to play soccer. I want him to play baseball. I want him to enjoy hockey. But a lot of these sports, when you enroll them in, a lot of them, their games and their practices are on Sunday morning or on Sunday afternoon or on Sunday night. And I can't tell you how many parents will enroll their kids in sports, take them out of church. You know, oh, there he goes, praying legalism. No, I'm telling you some good gospel truth that will save you a headache 20 years from now. And so I can't tell you how many times parents will say, I can't believe little Billy wants nothing to do with the Lord. Little Jack wants nothing. Little Susie wants nothing to do with the Lord. Well, didn't you bring them to church? Well, yeah, you know, we tried, but we wanted them to be involved in, like, sports and get around other kids. Listen, my kids are homeschooled. They still get around other kids. They get, you know how they get around other kids? We go to a church that has about 300 kids between the ages of two and five years old. So they, they, they become social when they're around kids at church. And so we bring our kids to church. And I encourage parents, listen, there's nothing in this world that is worth forfeiting the soul of your child. You want them to play basketball? You want them to play hockey? So let them. Go ahead and roll them. But make sure you don't take them out of the presence of God. Because my pastor says something. It's a whole lot easier to pray for your kids right now and keep them in church than it is to pray for them when they're 40 years old and they want nothing to do with God and to pray them back into the kingdom. One prayer that I never want to pray is to pray my kids back into the kingdom. But listen, my friend, if you're in a position like that right now where you're praying for your kids to come back into the kingdom, hey, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to stand with you and say, hey, the devil is a liar and your kids We'll come back into the kingdom of God. Can somebody say amen? But I'm reminded, a lot of people have made their uh, earthly priorities more important than their eternal priorities. And with every day, with every year that goes by, especially as you get older, uh, you know, I'm still young. In my body, I feel like, in my mind, not my body, in my mind, I still feel like I'm 18. When I was still driving that little Honda Accord, you know, my body would remind me every time I would get up after eight hours on the road that I was no longer 18 years old. But in my and so, but amen to that. And so, with every passing year that goes by, I'm always reminded, though, that this present earthly home that we have right now, it's just a layover until we reach our eternal destination. 
And you know what? Like I said, I know there's people on both sides of the spectrum. There's those that believe you can never lose your salvation. There's those that believe you can lose your It's not to get into a theological debate with you after service or to have somebody say, well, Nate's just trying to scare somebody into a personal relationship with you. No, that's not my intention. But at the same time, I don't want someone thinking that they can do whatever they want to do and then come to find out in the end that they were wrong. So listen, if there's anything that you will listen to this preacher say to you this morning is this, you can't just live any old way that you want. See, there's a lot of people that may call this type of preaching legalism, but I call it holy living. Because the Bible still says, for without holiness, no man shall ever see the face of God. Now, if you're wondering what I believe, I'm about to tell you what I believe. I believe, according to the word of God, that you can forfeit your salvation by turning away from God and from his word and living to do your own thing. And the reason I believe that is because I don't see where scripture teaches where you can willfully live in open or hidden sin without any remorse or repentance and expect to be right with God. But I do see in John chapter 3 verse 36, listen to what Jesus said. He said, anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life. Now those are harsh words. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. And then we read Paul. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now if Paul were to stop there and not write anything else, there's probably some people in here that would be in a whole lot of trouble with God when eternity's morning arrived. But praise be to God, that's not where Paul stopped. Paul wasn't in the business of preaching good news, uh, bad news. You know, people say all the time, you know, you know, if you don't turn away from your sins, you're going to hell. You'll never experience the love of God. And that's the truth. If you don't turn away from sin, the angry judgment of God will come upon you. But the problem is a lot of people think that type of preaching is good news. That's not good news. That's actually bad news. The good news is this. You may be involved in sin. Sin may have a hold of you right now, but the good news is this. God has made a way out, and that way out is through the name of Jesus Christ. There is not one sin that you have ever committed. There is not one thing that you may be involved in right now that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot pick you up and place your feet on solid ground. Can somebody say amen? Now, if Paul had to stop there, you know, a lot of us would be in a whole heap of trouble with God. But praise be to God, that's not where he stopped. He said, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right. How? By God. You were made right with God. How? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we can see why Paul said, 
that he feared that he might be disqualified. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he said, I discipline my body and I train myself to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So listen, according to the Bible, according to Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he, he says that there is the possibility of being disqualified. And if there is the possibility of being disqualified, then that means that there must be something that we can do and there must be something that we can allow in our lives that will disqualify us from the presence of God. I like to use the illustration of athletes all the time. Professional athletes, they perform drug tests at the beginning of the season, in the middle of the season, throughout the season, at the end of the season. Why did they perform these drug tests? They perform it to make sure that they don't, they're not taking anything that would give them the upper hand over somebody else. But what I've realized is this, that most athletes who get caught using drugs, they don't get caught at the beginning of the season. They either get caught in the middle of the season, or better yet, most of them get caught during the offseason. They get caught when they think no one else is watching, or better yet, when comfort begins to set in, and they begin to think, well, the rules no longer apply to me, I'm safe. And my concern is this with the modern church, is that we are raising a new generation of believers. We know not what to do, but we do it anyway because we think we won't get caught. Or, as the modern day preaching has been telling us, we just assume that God's grace is there to endorse our ungodly lifestyles. But my friend, I've come to remind you this morning, don't ever get too comfortable in your walk with God that you begin to think that the word of God is for everybody else but me. My friend, let me encourage you. There is no off season when it comes to walking in line with the word of God. Can somebody say amen. And secondly, most athletes that get caught using drugs, they're not bad people. You know what happened? They just got hooked up with the wrong people in the wrong atmosphere, and they made the wrong choice. Wrong atmosphere, wrong people always leads to wrong choices. Now listen, I'm going to use this example because this is where I'm from. I was raised right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. I, like you heard me, I love sports. I love football. The New England Patriots are my favorite team. You know, and so they had this player by the name of Aaron Hernandez who used to play. How many have ever heard of Aaron Hernandez? Aaron Hernandez played. He was a tight end for the New England Patriots. The guy had just got, just signed a brand new contract with the Pats. I think it was like a, an $8 million, $8 million contract or a $40 million contract. And then he had just bought a brand new house. That costs like $8 million. But Aaron Hernandez was raised in New England. He was raised in Connecticut. He was involved with gangs. And when he got drafted by the New England Patriots, he only moved like a couple of hours up the road. He went to Foxborough in Foxborough, Massachusetts. But Aaron Hernandez never got away from the wrong crowd. 
He was still hanging out with the wrong people. He still was in the wrong atmosphere. And because he was always in the wrong atmosphere and hanging out with the wrong people, it caused him to make one of the greatest, one of the greatest mistakes of his life. And he actually killed one person. And he thought because he was a New England patriot that he wasn't going to be found guilty of the murder. But the Bible says that your sins will find you out. And the Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. My brother is a correctional officer in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, where Aaron Hernandez, when he got arrested, he was actually thrown into jail at the correctional uh, facility where my brother is a CO at. And my brother said that he thought he was going to get away with it. He walked in there with a haughty attitude, thinking that he wasn't going to get charged, that he was just going to get away scot-free. But like I said, the Bible says, your sins will find you out. The wages of sin is death. And that that mistake not only did it cost him his life, but it would cost him, you know, playing for the Pats, but it cost him his very life because it wasn't even two years later when they found him, he had committed suicide in his cell. In his cell, they found him hanging with a sheet off, off of the window there. The, the wages of sin is death. Your sins, my friend, will don't think that it can't happen to me. Aaron Hernandez had everything anybody could have ever wanted in the natural. He had the house. He had the cars. He had the money. But what I've realized is this, that within every person, there is a void that, that is missing. There's a void in your life. And that void can only be replaced by the love of Jesus Christ. There's no amount of money. There's no alcohol, there's no drugs, there's no sex that could ever replace that void that you have in your life. Every person, you will always feel unsatisfied. You'll always feel like there's more until you fill that void on the inside of you with the love of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? You had a decision to make. Wrong, wrong people, wrong atmosphere always gets you to the point to make the wrong decisions. And every single one of us you know, every single one of us will have opportunities in our life to make the right or the wrong decision. And who you surround yourself with and where you surround yourself is either going to empower you to make the right or the wrong decision. See, in life, we're always going to have battles. Jesus said, in this, in this life, we'll have trials and tribulations. But Jesus is the devil. God will do his part, but you got to do your part. And the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what I've noticed is this, if your walk with the Lord is not strong, living in a world where they advocate and encourage sin, it can be hard to resist some temptation. But here's where we can be thankful for the grace of God. Because where we can't resist what we can't resist and do on our own, the grace of God will empower you to overcome. You know, I know I'm not as young as I used to be. But I'm still down with some of the modern lingo that the young people use. And they probably don't use this now quite often. But a few years ago, the, one of the greatest things that they used to say was YOLO, YOLO, YOLO. And I thought to myself, what in the world does YOLO mean? Then I needed some six-year-old to tell me what YOLO meant. <laughs> you only live once. YOLO, Y-O-L-O, -O, you only live once. And I thought to them, live it up, experience, do whatever you want to do. Because after all, you only live once. And so I'm going to tell you the same thing. Hey, do whatever you want to do. Experience it all. Because you only live once. 
Take risks. Yes, do whatever you want to do. But listen, because I care about you too much, I'm also going to be honest and upfront with you. You can do whatever you want to do. You can live it up. But understand, there is nothing that this world has that is worth forfeiting or disqualifying yourself from the presence of God. The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he can gain the whole world and lose his own soul in the process? You see, the devil's greatest strategy with God's people and with people just in general is trying to convince them that they are just not good enough to be a par with God. The devil will try to bring up everything that you've ever done. He'll try to bring up everything you've ever spoken, and he'll convince you that there's no hope for you. And the truth is this. The reason the enemy's accusations have such a stronghold in our minds is because a lot of times what he says we have done and what we have spoken, we have actually done those things. We have actually spoken those words. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He is good at picking out your faults. He's good at reminding you of your past. But praise be to God, the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father. And while the enemy is accusing you of your past, Jesus sits at the right hand of God and he shows him his nail-scarred hand and he says, I know what Billy has done. I know what Jack has done. But look what I did for them. And if you will place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not one sin that you are holding on to that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot destroy in just one moment. Can somebody say amen. Say, well, I messed up, preacher. Messed up big. I messed up hard. I've messed up big. I've messed up hard. I messed up as early as this morning. And you know what? And you say, if I were here to judge you, then you would leave here more miserable than what you walked in. But the truth is this. You know, if we call ourselves children of God and we're living in sin, then yes, you should know better. Because God's children don't make a lifestyle of sin. We are held to higher standards. But at the same time, if you've messed up, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you. Because the good news is this. The Bible says in 1 John, as, as a matter of fact, 1 John 2.1, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate of the Father who pleads our case. His name is Jesus. Listen, if you've sinned, let me encourage you. Confess your sin to God. Repent. You know what repent means? Turn away from your sin and never do it again. And then when you repent and turn from your sin, then the grace of God will step in and will empower you to live holy and righteous lives. You see, everything we get from God is because of the grace of God that we access by faith. But that only happens when we stay within the boundaries of God's word. When you live outside of the boundaries of God's word, you can disqualify yourself from accessing the good things that God has for you in life. But today, here's the good news. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, God has restored your ability and your right to choose what you want to experience. I said at the beginning of this message, my decision, my choice, I choose. You can choose whatever you want to do, but praise be to God. Even the word of God lays out, I've given you a choice. Here, Deuteronomy chapter 30, 19, verse 20. Today have, I have given you the choice between life and death. 
between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. All that you would choose life so that you and your descendants may live. God says, I've placed before you a choice. Every single one of you that are in here right now, that I'm looking square in the face. I don't care if you're white, black, Chinese, Korean, Italian, Portuguese. I don't care if you're a man. I don't care if you're a woman. I don't care if you're from Canada, the U.S. I don't care who you are, what you've done. God has placed before each and every single one of you a choice. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that even though he gives us a choice, God will always direct us in the right path to make the right choice. Can somebody say amen? Why? So that you and your descendants may live. Now he says, you can make this choice, how? By loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you will love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's given you a choice. You know, we're living in a day right now where people are talking about grace, and they've actually, they've actually messed up the gospel of grace. Right now, yeah, you can, I, I hear people all the time, well, I messed up, thank God for God's grace. God's grace is not there, if you can help me, Eunice, with, with the keyboard. God's grace is not there so that you can live a lifestyle of sin. God's grace is actually something better than that. God's grace will actually empower you so that you will no longer want to even have the desire to sin. It's better than a license to sin. You know, one of the best definitions of the word grace that I've ever heard and read is actually out of Romans chapter 6, verse 16. And I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. One of the new modern translations that came out, I started reading it, and it just opened your eyes to a whole new different you know, perspective. But listen to what it says, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? But choose carefully, for you surrender yourself to become a servant bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master. And listen to what the Bible says. And it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. Yes, Paul says that there is the possibility of us being disqualified from the presence of God. But the beauty of the power of grace is this, is that grace leaves it up to you to make your own choice. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 16. I'm talking to everybody in here right now. Listen, you may say, well, I I'm good. I'm right with God. I'm in church. You know what I've learned? You can come to church your whole life and not be right with God and live in sin and miss the mark. How do I know that? Because that was me over, tw over 20 years ago. I came to church. I would listen to the preacher. I would clap my hands. I would shout when everybody else was shouting. I would pray when everybody else was praying. But deep down inside, I knew my life wasn't right. I knew if Jesus were to come back or if my life by some tragic accident 
were to end and I were to slip into eternity, I know I wouldn't have made it into heaven. But I played the part. Everybody thought I was saved. But I made a decision. I don't want people just to think, well, he looks like he's saved. I wanted myself to know deep down in my spirit that when my life on earth is over, my very next breath is going to be in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, a lot of people put their eternity, well, I hope I'm going to make it into heaven. I think I'm going to make it into heaven. But my friend, let me encourage you. The gospel is not an I hope so gospel. It's not an I think so gospel. The gospel is an I know that I know that I know when my life is over here, I'm going to find myself, I'm going to hear the word well done thou good and faithful servant enter thou into the joys of the Lord I live my life around that phrase I live my life around hearing Jesus when I meet him face to face not saying depart from me I never knew you but the words I long to hear is well done my good and faithful servant and my desire for you today is that you would know that you know that when your life is over you will hear those very words well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. But the truth is, it's your choice. It's your choice. Listen to what Paul said. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? But he said, choose carefully, for you surrender yourself to become a servant, bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master. It will own you, and it will reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. So the question I have for each and every single one of you is this. What do you choose? Some of you in here, I can feel it in my spirit. You need to get your life right with God. You've said some things. You've done some things. You're involved in some things that nobody else knows about, but God knows about it. And deep down in your spirit, you know your life's not right with God. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. People say, well, I'll accept Jesus right here in my seat. I'm just thinking about accepting him. The Bible doesn't say, Paul didn't say, if you will think in your mind and believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord, you shall be known. He said, if you will believe in your heart and you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. You know, this Jesus died publicly for us. That's why we give public invitations. Because if you mean business with God, God will mean business with you. And my friend, let me tell you something. When you come to God, I've heard preachers say all the time, well, when you come to God, you know, your worst days, are beginning you're gonna struggle from day in and day out because the devil's gonna make sure he makes your life difficult because he hates the decision that you just made that happened to me when I got saved and I thought to myself I've only been saved for two minutes and this guy's already making me regret the decision I just made when I should be rejoicing I was actually kind of struggling with the idea of, of fully giving myself over to God but my friend I'm not like any of those other preachers I've come to tell you, when you come to God, your best days are no longer behind you. Your best days are only beginning. And they will continue until Jesus Christ comes back for his church. Can somebody say amen? You may be here today and you may say, I need to make my life right with God. 
Maybe you've never made your life right with God. Today, God's given you an opportunity. You didn't just stumble into this place by accident. You're not here because your friend invited you. That may be partial, but actually the Holy Spirit has been drawing you in. And today is your day for your miracle. Today is your day. See, the Bible says in heaven, there's this book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And what is the Lamb's Book of Life? It's actually, I like to say it like this, it's heaven's guest book. It's heaven's guest book. When you get to heaven, that book is opened up and you say, hi, I'm Jonathan Manna. And all of a sudden they open the pages up and it just starts scrolling. It's probably in alphabetical order, so it'll be easy to find. Start scrolling. Oh, Jonathan Manor, right there. Come on in. Well done, our good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. There's also going to be people. Hi, my name is Jack Russell. All right, Russell, Jack. I don't see anything on the Russell. I don't see anything on the Jack. It's me, God. God, it's me, Jack. God, it's me, Jack. Remember? I grew up in North York, Ontario, right outside of Toronto. You know that place? It's me. My mom took me to Weston Road Church when they had Jonathan Manna was the pastor. They renovated it back in like 2000, you know, 18, 17. You remember that place? Oh, I know Jonathan. And I know the place. I know Weston Road Church. 3350 Western Road, I know exactly where it's at, but I don't know you. And I feel that there are many people who think they're gonna make it into heaven, but there's something in their life that's hindering them from having a full relationship. Not only having a full relationship, but it's hindering them from making heaven their eternal home. But today God sent me all the way to Canada to find those who say, I don't think my life's right. I don't know if my life's right. Or you may be, I know my life's not right. God sent me here for you this Sunday morning because he wants to give you the opportunity to make your life right today. Hell is too long of a place for anybody to ever spend eternity. But there's another option, and that's heaven. But there's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. By confessing, repenting of sin, and confessing with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord. And you know a lot of people are hesitant because they're afraid of what somebody else is gonna think. My friend, when it comes to eternity, who cares what somebody else thinks? Make sure and know that you know that your life was right with God. With every head bowed, I'm gonna be the first one to get down on my knee. And you're here today and you say, preacher, I'm not sure, I'm not certain, I think I'm going to make it. I hope I make it. If you fall in any of those categories, this invitation is for you today. Before you pillow your head, before you put your head down to the pillow, you can know that you know that heaven is your home. So God's given you an opportunity. You may not get another opportunity. There are people that have never received an opportunity. And you today are receiving an opportunity to say no to the world, to say no to the devil. By grace, you're choosing to live for God. You're choosing to forsake sin. And you're asking God, Lord, come into my life. Empower me never to ever, ever, ever have a desire to ever sin again. And if you're here today, I'm asking you right now. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand. 
what I'm going to ask you to do is this. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you need to make your life right with God. And if you were to slip into eternity, you wouldn't make it into heaven. This invitation is for you. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you like 15 seconds. Some of you, you already know the decision that you have to make. Some of you know whether you're going to make it, take this step of faith, or if you're going to choose to reject God's grace. But my friend, let me encourage you. If you accept it, it'll be the best decision of your life. And beginning tonight, you will walk from victory to victory in Jesus' name. You say, preacher, that's me. I need to make my life right with God. Quickly, stand to your feet and meet me here at this altar. I want you to meet me here at this altar right now in Jesus' name. Don't allow what other people say to distract you or to sway you away from the presence of God. Maybe you say, well, I, I grew up in a church. I've made this decision. But why do I feel this conviction? You feel the conviction because you know deep down within yourself there's something in you that's keeping you away from the presence of God. But I'm asking you, my friend, today, this morning, right now, God's calling you. You may not have this other opportunity again, but quickly stand to your feet and meet me here at this altar and make the greatest decision of your life. I made this decision over 18 years ago. And as I look back, my life with Jesus far outweighs my life without him. A few more moments, anybody else? In Jesus' name, a few more moments, anybody else? In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, just a few more moments. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're too valuable. You're too important. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Anyone else in Jesus' mighty name? In the name of Jesus. Now I pray one more time. Father, I pray that you would encourage those that are still battling in their mind right now. Lord, that you would give them the strength, the boldness, and the power to say no to the devil, to say no to sin, and say, today I make a decision to accept God's grace and to live fully for him in Jesus' mighty name. Anyone else in Jesus' mighty name? Anyone else in Jesus' mighty name? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, every person that has come here, I want to pray with you. I'm actually going to ask you to pray after me. I feel like in my spirit there are those that have come to recommit their lives to Christ. Maybe you're here and you've never made this decision. This is your first time. Well, if it is, regardless of what you fit into, welcome to the family of God this morning. Hallelujah. And I'm going to ask you to pray. Repeat this prayer after me. In Jesus' mighty name. And I'm going to ask the church to repeat after me. Everybody look up at me from the... From the from the congregation when we pray pray together with us let them know that they've got a family of believers that's got their back in Jesus name so right now everyone just pray after me those that are up at this altar lift your hands up to God hallelujah as a matter of fact everybody lift your hands up to God and say heavenly father I come to you and Lord I'm admitting I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. My life is a mess. I've done some wrong things. But today, I'm coming to you because you have the answer to my problem, the problem of sin. So today, I confess my sin to you, and I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of all my wrongdoing. Today, I declare 
with my mouth and believe in my heart that God, you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And on the third day, he was resurrected so that my sins could be forgiven. So with my mouth, I declare, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And today, I am no longer a sinner, but I am your child. I ask you, where I was weak, make me strong. May I overcome every temptation the enemy throws my way. Today, I am God's child. I am saved, and heaven is my home. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Now, Father, I pray over every individual that has come up here to this altar. Father, I come against every work of the enemy that will try to discourage them, that will try to bring disappointment into their life. But, Father, I thank you that their best days are not behind them, but their best days are beginning today, and they will continue. Father, I declare every single one of them will walk from victory to victory, from glory to glory, and from faith to faith. I declare today, Lord, that the enemy is under their feet, and they will never, ever, the last battle they ever lost will be the last battle they will ever lose in the name of Jesus. And if you believe that today, church, put your hands together and give God the praise. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.